Chapter 1, Section 13 of The Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Chapter 1, Section 13 Ethical Criticism the incongruity of all this with any adequate conception of deity is patent if once the critical attitude be adopted and it was adopted by some of the clearest and most religious minds of greece nay even orthodoxy itself did not refrain from a genial and sympathetic criticism aristophanes for example who if there had been an established church would certainly have been described as one of its main pillars does not scruple to represent his birds as issuing a warning and notices formerly given to jove and all others residing in heaven forbidding them ever to venture again to trespass on our atmospheric domain with scandalous journeys to visit a list of alcmenas and semeles if they persist we warn them that means will be taken moreover to stop their galanting and acting the lover <laughs> and heracles the glutton and dionysus the dandy and the coward are familiar figures of his comic stage the attitude of aristophanes it is true is not really critical but sympathetic it was no more his intention to injure the popular creed by his fun than it is the intention of the cartoons of punch to undermine the reputation of our leading statesmen on the contrary nothing popularizes like genial ridicule and of this aristophanes was well aware but the same characteristics of the god which suggested the friendly burlesque of the comedian were also those which provoked the indignation and the disgust of more serious minds the poet pindar for example after referring to the story of a battle in which it was said gods had fought against gods breaks out into protest against a legend so little creditable to the divine nature o oh, my mouth fling this tale from thee for to speak evil of gods is a hateful wisdom and loud and unmeasured words strike a note that trembleth upon madness of such things talk thou not leave war and all strife of immortals aside and the same note is taken up with emphasis and reiterated in every quality of tone by such writers as euripides and plato 
the attitude of euripides towards the popular religion is so clearly and frankly critical that a recent writer has even gone so far as to maintain that his main object in the construction of his dramas was to discredit the myths he selected for his theme however that may have been it is beyond controversy true that the deep religious sense of this most modern of the greeks was puzzled and repelled by the tales he was bound by tradition to dramatize and that he put into the mouth of his characters reflections upon the conduct of the gods which if they may not be taken as his own deliberate opinions or at least expressions of one aspect of his thought it was in fact impossible to reconcile with a profound and philosophic view of the divine nature the intrigues and amours partialities antipathies actions and counter-actions of these anthropomorphic deities consider for example the most famous of all the myths that of orestes to which we have already referred orestes it will be remembered was the son of agamemnon and clytemnestra agamemnon on his return from troy was murdered by clytemnestra orestes escapes but returns later at the instigation of apollo and kills his mother to avenge his father thereupon in punishment for his crime he is persecuted by the furies now the point which euripides seizes here is the conduct of apollo either it was right for orestes to kill his mother or it was wrong if wrong why did apollo command it if right why was orestes punished or are there as aeschylus would have it two rights one of apollo the other of the furies if so what becomes of that unity of the divine law after which every religious nature seeks phoebus cries the orestes of euripides prophet though he be deceived me i gave him my all i killed my mother in obedience to his command and in return i am undone myself the dilemma is patent and euripides makes no serious attempt to meet it or again to take another example less familiar but even more to the point the tale of ion and creusa creusa has been seduced by apollo and has borne him a child the ion of the story this child she exposes and it is conveyed by hermes to delphi where at last it is found and recognized by the mother and a conventionally happy ending is patched up 
but the point on which the poet has insisted throughout is once more the conduct of apollo what is to be made of a god who seduces and deserts a mortal woman who suffers her to expose her child and leaves her in ignorance of its fate does he not deserve the reproaches heaped upon him by his victim child of latona i cry to the sun i will publish thy shame thou with thy tresses a shimmer with gold through the flowers as i came plucking the crocuses heaping my veil with their gold-litten flame camest on me caughtest the poor pallid wrists of mine hands and didst hail unto thy couch in the cave mother mother i shrieked out my wail wroughtest the pleasure of cupris no shame made the god-lover quail wretched i bear thee a child and i cast him with shuddering throw forth on thy couch where thou forcedst thy victim a bride-bed of woe lost my poor baby and thine for the eagles devoured him and lo victory songs to thy lyre dost thou chant oh i call to thee son born to latona dispenser of boding on gold gleaming throne midmost of earth who art sitting thine ears shall be pierced with my moan thy delos doth hate thee thy bay boughs abhor thee by the palm-tree of feathery frondage that rose where in sacred travail latona bore thee in zeus's garden close this is a typical example of the kind of criticism which euripides conveys through the lips of his characters on the stage and the points which he can only dramatically suggest plato expounds directly in his own person the quarrel of the philosopher with the myths is not that they are not true but that they are not edifying they represent the son in rebellion against the father zeus against chronos chronos against uranos they describe the gods as intriguing and fighting one against the other they depict them as changing their form divine into the semblance of mortal men lastly culmination of horror they represent them as laughing positively laughing or again to turn to a more metaphysical point if god be good it is argued by plato he cannot be the author of evil what then are we to make of the passage in homer where he says two urns stand upon the floor of zeus filled with his evil gifts 
and one with blessings to whomsoever zeus whose joy is in the lightning dealeth a mingled lot that man chanceth now upon ill and now again on good but to whom he giveth but of the bad kind him he bringeth to scorn and evil famine chaseth him over the goodly earth and he is a wanderer honoured of neither gods nor men and again if god be true he cannot be the author of lies how then could he have sent as we are told he did lying dreams to men clearly concludes the philosopher our current legends need revision in the interest of religion itself we must destroy the myths of the popular creed end of chapter 1 section 13 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey